tour stories. I my nervousness is rising because I could see myself ending up in a Bulgarian jail. You have your show. We leave on Tuesday. You leave some dirty venue at like 3 a.m. It's a Sunday night. I move to Mississippi. You drive halfway to someplace, sleep for like two hours, and join the bluegrass band. Well, hey there, people, gather around. It's the whole room is just singing, like the room is just alive with song. This is the Tour Denver podcast. For more information about Tour Denver or our sponsors, please visit RacketourDenver.com. Welcome to Tour Denver. Today's event is Tales from the Tour. So whether you've stumbled here by accident or you're here on purpose, um, you are now part of a storytelling evening. Hooray! <laughs> I'm Amber Blaze, and this is David Reinhardt, and um, tonight we'll be your guides as we travel the world on tours. I just want to take a minute and thank our sponsors from the evening. Our sponsors are Carbon Beverage Cafe, Denver Bicycle Cafe, Pete Beland, and KGNU. And I also want to thank Infinite Monkey Theorem for hosting us tonight. Next up, we have Michael Catlin. He is a filmmaker, director, producer, and writer here in Denver. He's currently on the faculty of Lighthouse Writers Workshop, and he's working on a Colorado-based crime drama. So please give a warm welcome to Michael. So, uh, thank you, Amber. I'm really, really glad to be here. So, yes, I'm a, I'm a storyteller, a uh, filmmaker, and uh, the story I'm going to tell you is from the 1980s. Um, back in the 80s, I was the star of a soap opera on CBS, and uh, unbeknownst to me, thank you, it was called Capital. I'm sure your mothers saw it. <laughs> Uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, it turned out to be a very, very popular uh, television series in Europe which was a very good fortune for me because I got an opportunity after the show ended to go to Europe to work on a couple of things. And one of the things I was invited to work on was a Spanish-Italian co-production of a film about Salvador Dali shortly after he died. And I thought, oh, this is great. This is going to be my Miramax breakout moment. Not so much. Um, so we ended up, I ended up going to Sofia, Bulgaria, uh, which at the time, Bulgaria was still Stalinistic. Uh, we arrived about a week after Tiananmen Square, and at the time, Bulgaria was the only country that was supporting China in their, bre- in their crackdown. So as we got off the plane, we heard that they were confiscating anybody that had a magazine or any news reports that were outside of the country. They were confiscating everything of periodicals that had the news with people getting off the plane. We went to Bulgaria because uh, the film actually took place in New York, and uh, it was about the time that Salvador Dali came to New York City, but the budget on this movie was so low that we wouldn't have been able to afford the, the locations in New York. And, and what's interesting about Sofia, Bulgaria, is that you have all these really gorgeous buildings from the, from the uh, Deco period and the Art Nouveau period that are just beautiful, mixed with all this really marvelous, brutalistic architecture from the 50s and 60s Soviet style. So it's a really interesting mix. And the reason why we went there is so that we could do this movie for about $700,000 and so I was very fortunate to play the second lead next to uh, Lorenzo Lamas, who was playing Dali, who looked so much like Salvador Dali. It was, it was incredible. And so the whole premise of the film is he's there 
uh, in New York being feted as this new rising art star, and I'm playing this reporter for the New York Times chasing him around. And it was really an amazing experience, mostly because of the time we were there. I had just... I got off the plane, and I was met at the door of the plane by this woman who I was told she identified herself from being from the tourist board. Very quickly, we realized that that meant security services. Uh, every one of us, there were five of us that were from uh, outside of Europe that were there on the project, and every one of us had our own little, little minder. Uh, mine particular one had blue hair, so of course I called her the blue meanie. So we had code words for all these individuals, and we would talk about them with our code words. Um, the other fascinating thing at the time was, um, because it was a closed system, and it was very Stalinistic, it was still run by the Communist Party. And the most interesting thing that happened was we would occasionally get approached by the locals and be asked questions, and we'd try to be kind and answer their questions as best we could. But we were always mindful of these people that were on our shoulders. And, of course, anybody that we talked to that was a local, they were also very mindful of what they said to us. I think one of the most interesting things that kind of defined how this all worked is, as Americans, particularly working on movie sets, you're used to, like, awesome catering, like when it's time for lunch. And I remember the first time we were on location and it was time to break for lunch, they showed up with this big sort of like, now it would be called a food truck. At that point, we, we had no idea what it was. But they showed up, and they had this, put this brazier out, and they put this big, about a 32-quart big pot on this brazier, and it sort of like was kind of grayish looking with like grease on the top, and they said, that's lunch. And the four Americans, the five Americans, we all went, there's a hotel across the street. We're going to be sitting in a cafe. Come get us when it's time to go back to work. Uh, and they were very upset. They wanted to know, like, well, what's wrong? I said, well, you know, uh, we'd like some chicken. We'd like some meat. So the next day at lunch, we had fryers. I mean, it was really nice chicken. But by the end of the, end of the tour of our shoot there for about a month and a half, uh, the chickens kept getting skinnier and skinnier and smaller and smaller and I think we started to believe that maybe we were starting to eat pigeons, and we came to realize that we had basically gone through pretty much the entire breeding stock of chickens in and around Sophia in the two months that we were there, which was a little embarrassing because they were, like, bending over themselves to satisfy us, and we were sort of like, we got very conscious of the fact that maybe we were being a little too American. Um, anyway, so one of the things that became really apparent to us uh, was that any time we went out in public, we'd be walking around, and what would happen is because we looked like we were either American or Canadian, what would happen is particularly if we were in Central Sofia, somebody would walk up to us and they would stand right on our shoulder and in English they'd say, change money? And of course, we would turn and immediately they realized that we were American and basically they were, in, they were interested in knowing whether we were interested in changing the local currency, which, were the, which was the Lev, for dollars. At the time... The official currency was one for one, but the black market currency was like 30 to one. And of course, the first couple of times this happened to me, I had no idea what was going on. Eventually, I got hip to what was happening. But the idea of trading currency in the black market in a foreign country sort of like put the willies in me. So it was like, no, no, thanks. I'm not really interested. Uh, so during the course of the film, we were there for about two months, and we, we went around the country to different locations. And it was really an amazing experience. We ended up in the mountains in sort of their version of um, Williamsburg, which was kind of fascinating because at the, 
in the center of this little village, which was quite lovely up in the mountains, was uh, a pyramid of skulls. And each skull represented the people who had been killed when the Turks went through in the 1600s and slaughtered everybody as they were, you know, invading Europe. So as the course of the, of the shoot went on and we got towards the end, one of the things that we became very aware of, and this is something that, you know, when you're, a, when you're an actor on a set and you're getting a per diem, one of the things you want to do is, how, how can I take my per diem home and not spend it? So you spend a lot of time eating on the set. You spend a lot of time, you know, like being taken out to dinner by the locals and that. But we, we realized that our money was getting short. We had about two weeks left, and a lot of us wanted to buy some things because one of the things we noticed that handmade rugs, Persian rugs, were really inexpensive. Beautiful lamb's wool uh, blankets were really inexpensive. So that was really exciting. We wanted to kind of shop a little bit, but we didn't want to spend our money. So suddenly, Renzo comes to me one day, and he says, you know what? We need to go buy some labs on the market. And it was like, Really? And he goes, yeah, let's go. We'll, 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 we'll do this. We'll, we'll, we'll make this happen. And uh, I said, okay, Lorenzo, thinking that Lorenzo knew what he was doing because he lived in Spain. So obviously he's like hip to all this kind of stuff. So uh, we decide that we're going to get into a cab and we're going to go to this other hotel that's down the street from where we were staying. We were staying at the Sheraton Intercontinental, which was this big American kind of hotel which where all the foreigners stay. But there was this hotel down at sort of the opposite side of town which looked like a bunker. All the lights were mercury, yellow mercury vapor lights. It was very inviting. It was uh, the place I stayed at for about the first three nights. Uh, a lot of German, uh, a bunch of German and European businessmen stay there, so it's known as sort of a businessman's hotel, but it is like crazy. It's everybody's drunk, stays up all night long. And so we were going to go down there because we had heard that you could trade money down there. So we wanted to get 30 to one on the dollar. We wanted to put enough money in our pockets so that we could make it through the rest of the, of the shoot and we'd have money to buy some stuff to take home. So we hail a cab. We get in the cab. He says, where are you going? And we tell him we're going to this hotel down there. And he said, uh, and we started then, Lorenzo and I start talking in the back seat, strategizing. He's like, turns around in English, he goes, change money? And we said, yeah. Now, one thing we knew is that all the t- cab drivers also traded money. So right away, we thought we were going to trade with him. And he goes, you don't want to go down there. We go, why? He says, it's the mafia. They're bad. They won't give you a good rate. So we said, okay, where should we go? He says, I take you. So Lorenzo and I look at each other, and we go like, okay, let's see where this goes. So we're going, great, take us where you want to go. So he immediately gets on the road and drives out of town. And he drives and he gets onto this super highway. It was like a big four-lane highway, like an interstate you would find here. And, of course, not a single car is on it. And the interesting thing about Bulgaria is when you're in the city of Sofia, it's like you're in the 1950s. But once you drive outside of the city, it's like you've driven in or stepped into the 1800s. It's like all the villages are little tiny, dusty villages. The people are still... You know, sh- you know, taking care of their farming by either a big scythe that they're cutting the wheat down or they've got plows behind horses and it's all carriage. It's like literally you've driven or stepped into the 1800s. And so we're driving and we're driving along and I'm sitting in the back seat. Lorenzo's sitting in the front seat with him and, you know, they're, they're having a chat in Spanish because apparently the taxi driver understood Spanish and I'm sitting in the back seat like going, wow, this is really gorgeous. This is really interesting. And then I realized we've been driving for about 45 minutes. And I'm beginning to go like, where are we going? Where are we going? And suddenly up in the distance, I notice there's like a big, like an interchange like we'd see here, right? 
And in the middle of the interchange is one of these, like, kind of like you'd find on the freeways on the interstates when you drive America. It's like a big, you know, like a rest stop, right? With a gas station and a restaurant and the whole thing. And he gets off and he pulls into there. And one of the things I noticed when we got off the freeway and started pulling in is lined up along the frontage road in front of this place is a whole series of bright blue wagons and trucks. In other words, it was a gypsy train of about 20 vehicles. And I'm thinking, wow, that's fascinating, gypsies. That's kind of cool. And then we get into the place and we park. And we walk into this place and it's pretty empty. And we walk out to the outdoor patio. And on the outdoor patio, there's really nobody there. We ordered a couple of espressos and we're having espressos. And in the corner, off of the distance, is this very large gentleman with a big bushy gray hair and a big mustache. And the cab driver looks at me and goes, go talk to him. So I go over and I walk up to this gentleman and just as I'm about to reach him, I realize that he sits there and he has on his little pinky finger, he has this enormous gold ring with an enormous ruby in it. And I, <laughs> I'm standing in front of this guy, kind of like I am now, very uncomfortable and not quite sure what to say. And I go, um, nice ring. And he looks at me and he goes, no. And I don't know if he thought I wanted to buy it or trade or whatever it was, but that was clearly not what I was supposed to do. And I immediately went, okay, great. And I walked back to Lorenzo and the, and the taxi driver and I went, I don't think this is going to work. And he goes, the taxi driver goes, I talked to him. So the taxi driver goes up and talks to him and they start talking in Bulgarian and they're like, clipping it out and everything and they get done talking and the taxi driver comes back and goes okay we go now <laughs> and it's like what do you mean we go now what's going on he says we go now so we start heading back to the car and we go back to the car and Lorenzo as we're all going back to the car we're sort of walking through all these gypsy wagons and I'm like I really don't want to be here and as we get back in the car suddenly this large gentleman that we had been talking to gets in the car and sits in the back seat next to me so now we start driving back into town. Lorenzo is sitting in the front seat with the cab driver. I'm sitting in the back seat with the gentleman who is the guy who's going to make the deal for the money with us. And Lorenzo and I are actually trading very intense glances back and forth because we're not exactly sure what's going to happen. And uh, then, of course, the, two, the driver and the gentleman in the seat with me are actually talking in Bulgarian, so they're having a gay time. So I'm, my nervousness is rising because I could see myself ending up in a... Bulgarian jail, you know, <laughs> have you been convicted of trading money on the black market? Um, and uh, we start driving back, and we get back, and we start getting back into town, and suddenly the, the gentleman in the back says something, and the car makes a sharp left turn, and instead of being in a city, it's like we're on this track in the middle of nowhere. And Lorenzo and I look at each other, we both go for the handle at the same time, we're about to bail out the door, and the gentleman sitting next to me goes, no, 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 this is wrong, you know, wrong, no, no, no. And the car stops, and they start arguing for a few, like 30 seconds, going, you know, and it, then suddenly the car backs up, and the truth of the matter is he wanted to turn like another block farther up. So he makes the turn, and now we're in this neighborhood that's, it's one of those, I guess you would call it a typical Soviet-style worker, artist, paradise sort of apartment blocks, you know, just totally made of concrete, a whole bunch of them, sitting around this nice little park. And so we park, and we've sort of negotiated what the price was going to be. We're going to get 28 to, to 1, which we thought was awesome. Uh, would allow us to kind of do everything we wanted to do and have a little money to spend while we were still there. 
So the gentleman gets out. He goes into this cafe. He's gone for maybe 30 minutes. Once again, Lorenzo and I start getting a little nervous. You know, we just want to get done with this because we're at the end of our tour and we've decided that, uh, you know, if we get out of this without going to jail, we're never going to do anything like this again. So he finally comes back. He says his guy, whoever that was, it was inside the cafe, says he'll make the deal. But he goes like, what about Georgie? He says, perfect English. The first time he's spoken any English. He goes, but what about Georgie? And I'm like, what do you mean? What about Georgie? He goes, what about Georgie? And it was like Lorenzo and I at the same time went, of course, you need to get paid. So, of course, then we go like, of course. You know, so we give him a little money, right? Everything is cool. We get our... It ended up being like an extra $2,000 in value to us, you know, which was awesome. We could spend the last two weeks there living right and buying what we wanted to buy and get home well. And we give him his money. We go back into the city. And uh, I ended up buying this beautiful lamb's, beautiful, beautiful lamb's blanket that I still have. Lorenzo got himself two, two rugs because, of course, he's the star. And uh, it was one of those things where I, I promised myself that I would never, ever attempt to trade money on the black market ever again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rackin' Tour Denver. If you enjoyed the podcast and live in Denver, join us on September 12th at Barrel's Beer Room for our next event with the theme of Pets. Here's a reminder to head to RackandTourDenver.com where you can find upcoming events, speaker bios, podcasts, and more. Each episode of Tour Denver showcases music from local musicians. This episode features music from Stefan Brackett.